Morning, everyone. Hey, it's great to see you all here. Good to have the opportunity to be up here. I have a joke. Well, actually, I have two jokes for you this morning, okay? There were these three sisters. They were 96, 94, and 92 that were living together. And uh, the 96-year-old one evening said, well, I'm going to go take a bath. And she went up and drew the bath, and she put her foot in the water, and then she couldn't remember if she was getting into the tub or out of the tub. So she yelled down and said, I need help. I don't know if I'm getting into the tub or out of the tub. Well, the 94-year-old said, I'll come up and help. So she got halfway up the steps and made the mistake of hesitating right in the middle. And then she called down and said, was I going up the stairs or coming back down the stairs? Well, the 92-year-old said to herself, I hope I am never as forgetful as those two, knock on wood. And then, the, uh, then she called out and said this, I'll be up to help in a minute, but I've got to see who's at the front door first. <laughs> so these other two people who have been friends for life, and for 50 years they met every week to play cards, and uh, one morning one of them looked at the other one and said, you know, I really don't be offended by this, please, but I know we've known each other our whole lives, but I can't remember your name. And the friend across the table just kind of started out, just glared at her, and then her glare kind of softened and, and kind of shifted into a little bit of a look of confusion, and she spoke up and she said, how soon do you need to know? <laughs> So the point of that is, it is important to know who you are. Really is important to know who you are. It's important to know who your church is and and why you're at the church you're at. That's what I want to talk about today. The title of the message, This Is Us, meaning this is us collectively as a church body. So who are we and how did we get here and, and what is God doing here? Family is important and your place in the family is important. Now there's a passage in Matthew 13 I want to read just to draw some context around this and, and, and give you uh, some insight into a, a truth that, that maybe we don't always recognize. But in Matthew 13, Jesus is uh, sharing several kingdom parables, and in each one of them, uh, he talks about how God is relating to mankind. And then right in the middle, these two parables come. And Jesus said this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So this man finds this treasure, realizes, hey, it, the treasure's in a field that belongs to someone else, but it was so valuable he sold everything he had to come back and get the treasure. Now the second one, the second parable, he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, a pearl merchant. And he says, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So in the first parable, it's just just a man finds his treasure, divests himself of everything he owns to buy the field so he can have the treasure. And then the second one, a pearl merchant, someone who's just an absolute expert in pearls, he finds one pearl that is of such exquisite beauty and value and perfection that he sells everything he has in order to buy that pearl. Now these parables have often been uh, interpreted to mean that you and I, like we are the man, 
or that we are the pearl merchant. And when you find Jesus, he is so valuable that you should just give up everything, give up your whole life just to get Jesus. But in the context here, all these parables are about God and him relating to mankind, not about man relating to God. So in both of these parables, the man who finds the treasure is God. He finds a treasure in a field. And what is that treasure? It's you. You're the treasure. The body of Christ, Jesus' bride, that's the treasure. And the, the, the pearl merchant, he finds this exquisite pearl, better than any pearl he's ever seen, sells everything he owns in order to get that one pearl. You are the pearl. And as collectively, we are the pearl because Jesus died for the church. He died for us individually, but he died for his bride as well. And so when you think about that and you, and you recognize that, the, Jesus saw such exquisite beauty and in each one of us that he was willing to give up the treasures of living in heaven in order to come here and, and to give up everything he had to purchase us to be his. He did that for you personally. He did that for us collectively. And when we recognize that, then we recognize the thing that we're a part of, the church, the body of Christ, the, it's also called the bride of Christ. We recognize that in God's eyes, this thing is of exquisite beauty, that, that we are part of a family that is powerful and incredibly influential because it's God's family. And that you, as part of that family, are a favored child in the home. You're, you are the favorite. You personally are the pick of the litter in the home. And every one of us, every one of us are God's favorite. And so when you begin to understand that, you begin to see something about what it means to say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, that I have the Holy Spirit in me, that I'm part of a church body that is bigger than me, that is part of something that God's doing and God's using, and something that God favors and sees as, as so beautiful and with such exquisite value that he was willing to give himself entirely just to have it himself. Now, just as every person is unique, every church is unique. And as a church, as a church develops, it's usually started by people who have, uh, have some background of history, and, and that history informs what they're going to honor and value in the church body, as well as just simply the call of God on their lives. But those two things always work in concert. They always work together. And if you look through the Bible and you look at, um, at values, you can find 100 biblical values. I've seen church websites where they'll have 20, 20 values listed, and, and you, you can have far more than that. But what you're looking for as a church, when you are identifying the values of that church, you're not trying to exhaust all the biblical values that you could find, because it's just so exhaustive that it, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. What you're looking for is, what, what are the particular values that God wants us, at least in this season of time, to really hold up? To, to really be at the cutting edge of who we are. Not that the other values are ignored, but that they're, they're all part of the thing, but we're really looking for the ones that, that God's saying, yeah, I want this church to be known for this. Now, at the beginning of this church, uh, we, we had a prophetic word given at the very beginning, second prayer meeting we had. A man said this. He said, God spoke to me this week, and God said, to me, I will forge this church out of broken people. 
I'll forge this, or I'll forge my church out of broken people. And, and that really, that coincided with my heart, with Lori's heart, that we wanted a church that was based on mercy. We wanted a church that was very merciful. And, the, and what that means is how we relate to each other and how we relate to those outside the church body, that we're gonna do that with mercy. And the reason we wanted that was, we had been in a lot of churches where there was a standard held up as the standard, and nobody in the church was living at that standard, but everybody was pretending they were. And that starts, I believe that starts with pastors, because I know I was taught in seminary uh, in very lofty terms that you should not preach anything that you are not living yourself. Well, when you're a young guy and you hear that, you, you take up a pretty high, pretty high sense of duty and, and perfectionism. And then when you preach about loving your wife, you can't talk about the fight you had with your wife the previous week because that would be like preaching something you're not living. And so then the, the pastors start pretending they're living up to everything they're preaching. And then pretty soon everybody does that. <laughs> And then coinciding with that, when someone does stand up and say, hey, I just got to admit, had a big fight with my wife this week, everybody in the room is, is obligated to gasp. <laughs> if you don't gasp, then that means you must be just like him. So we're all obligated then to think, oh, how could, how, how could that be? We thought you were a man of God. We thought you loved Jesus. And so we just, Lord, we don't want to replicate that. And God gave me this at one point because I was just praying this. God, I want to preach the truth. I want to show them who you are and what we're called to. But how do we do that and not create that other type of atmosphere? And the Lord spoke to me real clearly and said this, tell them who I am and, and what, what I'm calling them to, but tell them what I'm asking of them right now is just to take the next step from where they are. And so just take the next step. Now, I, I always give this caveat. If you're sleeping with your neighbor's wife, the next step is not to cut it down from four times a month to two, all right? I'll just tell you this. The next step is stop right now, all right? But if you're talking about growing in some character quality, growing in, in, in love for God, growing in patience and compassion for others, what's the next step God has for you there? That, that's how you move ahead. And so mercy was a value that, that uh, we wanted to have built right into the DNA of this church, right into the culture of this church. And we came up actually two years ago. Well, I want to say this first. John Wimber, who formed the vineyard, he said that every church is like a bus. And on the front of a bus, you know, right above the windshield on the front, most bus, city buses have a name, you know, Price Hill or Fairfield or Indian Hill. And you know, if you get on that bus, that bus is going to Fairfield. This one's not going to Price Hill. It's going to Fairfield. And Wimber said, you need to make it very clear where your church is headed. You know, what, what are the things that you're called to emphasize in this church? What are the things that you believe are just biblically, just flat out truth that you have to follow through with? You have to go. So everybody knows what bus they're getting on and, and, and how important that is. Well, a few years ago, two years ago, in fact, we kind of reworked our vision and we came up with this as a vision, this statement, that uh, our, our vision is to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth. 
to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth. And you know, Jesus said that we're supposed to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is, this is just a flat out biblical statement. You could state the same thing other ways. And other churches do state the same thing other ways. Maybe use different words or a different nuance to it. And that helps reflect who they are. But this is the way we've chosen to, sta- to state it. And this idea of culture is really important because a culture is the atmosphere that you develop, the kind of the expectations that you develop based upon your values. And, and so you, you, you can't just state values. You, you have to state them and then live them. And that's what creates an atmosphere. And so if you say, well, we're going to be a church of mercy, but then we're harsh towards people and judgmental, that's not going to be value in the church. The, rea- the reality of the value is going to be reflected, and the atmosphere that's created is going to be reflected by what we actually carry through with. And, and so as, as we're, we're thinking about this, and as you focus on you know, what is the church supposed to be, you realize that you really can't make up values, you, you can't make up, well, what are we called to be? You just can't, it can't be something that just a committee gets together and says, well, here's what it ought to be. Now, if that committee is going to get together and they're going to pray, and they're going to spend days, weeks, months praying and coming back and saying, you know, he, here's, here's what I got. Oh, well, here's what I got from the Lord. And, and, they, and they coincide. And so you say, well, maybe God's speaking to us about something there. Then you can do it. But the point is, the values that any given church is called to emphasize really has to come from God. It really has to be a call of God on it. And that's where prophetic voice speaks into it. And, and prophetic, prophetic moments when God just speaks very directly or through an individual to show what the values are intended to be. And so it's listening to God speak. Of course, no values, you're, you're going to not, not adopt values that are unbiblical. God's not going to tell you to do that. And, and if you do, then there are other issues and problems there. But there needs to be this prophetic call so that when you say, this is us, by the way, how many of you watch that program? It's made, it, very, very rarely do I cry, but that show has made me cry a couple of times. So um, when, when you say, this is us, it, you're not just given the flavor of the week. Okay, you're, you're really settled on this. This is what God's called us to. And this is why we're giving our life. Because this is the type of church that God's called us to be and to be part of. And so the whole prophetic unction thing is just in, incredibly important. So that the values that set the culture, things like mercy, honor, risk, outward presence uh, driven or natural and authentic, whatever they might be, however you state them, that they are from God. And this whole idea even of being Holy Spirit empowered, which is one of, has been one of our, our core values up to this point, is something that is, uh, is just really precious to my heart because I, I don't want to do things that just come out of the latest book on church growth. Uh, and, and nothing wrong with books on church growth, but you can take things like that and you can make that the thing instead of God the thing. And, and so someone said once that if the Holy Spirit left the earth, 90% of what happens in churches across America would continue on without missing a beat. And what I'd like to think is, if the Holy Spirit leaves, this place is just going to grind to a halt. 
And I'm sure, I mean, I know there's stuff we do here that's, you know, we're not perfect. We think it's God and it's not really God and it would probably go on without him. But uh, I'd like to, uh, boy, I'd like to say 98% of what we do here is just so dependent upon God's presence and power and life that if the Holy Spirit stops doing it, that uh, within two weeks, no one would be showing up. So, so th- that would be like you'd say, well, okay, we're articulating here a core value and, and something that we really want to have be just part of the fabric and atmosphere of, of this church. But um, now let me tell you a little bit about how the church started for those of you that haven't heard this before. We started in the spring of 2001, just a small prayer meeting in our home, graduated to our basement, which is where the house group movement started also. And then after a couple of months, we moved to Springdale Chapel in the summer of 2001. And uh, we met there on Saturday nights until the spring of 2002 when we moved into the YMCA. And our first Sunday in the YMCA, we had 139 people. So the church was growing rapidly. And uh, it wasn't long until YMCA was, the the space we used was full. We had to expand into use the the entire space that we were using. And after uh, just a couple of years, uh, 2004, the place was packed. We had two services and um, it was just packed. And I remember one Sunday morning uh, looking around during worship and thinking, we can't fit any more people in here. What are we going to do? We can't add any more services because we have this limited time slot that we had had the space. What are we going to do? And I was just feeling this sense of hopelessness because I, I just didn't know what to do. And I wasn't really counting on God too much at that moment. And the Lord spoke to me. And very clearly, he said, test me. And, and so I thought, okay, that, that sounds like Malachi. Test me. Step out, trust me, see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. So I took it that way, and my heart was lifted. Later that day, just out of the blue, that word came to me a second time, test me. And then that night, Lori and I were watching something on TV, I have no idea what it was, but right in the middle, it just came into my mind again strongly, test me. And so it was shortly after that, a few months later, this land came available, which is a, a whole half hour story uh, uh, in itself, but uh, a 92-year-old man lived on this land. It was the remnants of a family farm, and uh, we had sent him a letter asking if, if there'd be any, in, any desire on his part to sell this parcel of ground. And at the time, he didn't want to, but um, his son came to visit him and said, Dad, you, you, have, you can't live alone anymore. I'm taking you home with me to Florida. And so he pulled this letter out. And if, have you ever been in uh, the home of a 92-year-old man who had lived by himself for a number of years? Okay. I had an uncle, Audley, who was a bachelor. And getting through his house would be like stacks of newspaper this high on the floor and magazines over here. And you had to maneuver through. It wasn't quite that bad. But I think it was a miracle that Mr. Malger saved that letter. And when his son was making arrangements to sell the property, he said, I want to sell it to these people. And so we got to buy this property shortly after that, and uh, shortly after that test me word. And then we start, we put together a building team and started planning and came to a day, one day, where we had to raise $500,000 because we had only been in existence four years. And so no bank, only one bank would even talk to us, and that was PNC. And they said that we had to raise 500000 in order to get a loan from them. And so we came to that day, and um, 
just an amazing thing happened. We, we had 300 people when we started the giving campaign. Okay, 300 in attendance. And with that 300, we raised close to $700,000 in a one-day offering. Which, yeah, was just amazing. I mean, people sacrificed. They gave, of course, they gave stock, they gave cash, they gave family heirlooms, they gave property that they owned to the church that we then sold and, and added that to the, you know, to the total amount. Um, just all sorts of sacrificial giving, jewelry. Uh, one couple that, that had both been divorced previously and remarried realized they had jewelry from their first marriage and they just, well, why are we keeping this? And so they gave it to the church uh, as, as part of their offering. So a lot of things like that happened. And we moved into this building in the spring of 2006. Now, by the time we got to move in here, we were probably hitting 350, 375, something like that at the YMCA. We're really, really bulging and packing the place out. Moved in here in June of 2006. By September, we had a service with over 900 people here. And we really virtually doubled overnight. Now, that sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, unless you're trying to keep the place headed in a direction. And, and you're so tired and busy from all of the work you're doing. And the staff was just, it was just crazy. I mean, it was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. It was exciting and thrilling. But at the same time, with such an influx of, of people, we, we just really got kind of off track because we had always had this heart. We wanted to be a supernatural church. That's, that's what we wanted to be. And, and when, when everyone is here, and actually, when you clarify, when you say this is us, you always stand the risk of having some people say, hey, I'm on the wrong bus. And, and so there's, there's some of that mixed into it, but then also just the... the uh, just the busyness, you get so busy, you're just grinding through the weeks. And, and the envisioning process falls to the wayside. And, and then you, you just start to lose some of the identity of this is us, of, of Holy Spirit empowered and uh, we, outwardly focused and, and some of these core values. And I remember one Sunday in 2009, uh, standing right there looking out, just seeing the place just packed to the gills. And this thought just came to my mind. This is not what God called us to. We've gotten off track. And, you know, obviously leadership is the thing. And that was a failure of my leadership at that time. But um, as, I, as I saw that, I just prayed, oh God, this is not what you called us to. It's not what I signed up for. I, I want to get us back on track. I, I want to get us back on track. And it was uh, oh a year or two after that that Dan Hack, who is starting to help the men's group, uh, start this men's group, Dan Hack came to me and he gave me a prophetic word. And it said this, God says, I'm doing a new thing here, but it's not really new. What I'm doing is calling you back to your roots. Calling you back to your roots. So that was really cool. It was shortly after that that... Um, um, Crossroads West Side opened up on this side of town. And I'm thinking, you know, how's that impact us? And wh wh where do we fit in, in the range of churches? And, and I'm wrestling through all of those things. And God just spoke to me once again and said, you know, all you need to do is lean back into your heritage, which is healing and power ministry. 
And so about that time also, we had Robbie Dawkins come here for the first time. And then I got to travel to Africa with Robbie for a few weeks. And, and I just started to see God work in a, in a powerful way with, with healings and other just really miraculous things God was doing. And, and so we're starting, to, we're starting to get the this is us thing back, you know, nuancing it. It wasn't like we were so far off track that, that um, I mean, there were still people being healed. We still gave words of knowledge at the end of the services. So it wasn't like we had abandoned these things, but we weren't pressing in like we are now. And God spoke to me at one point and said that he wanted this to be a church that, uh, that had, that where people worshiped like crazy. That was the word. With freedom and abandon. And you know, I've always said anything in worship short of painting Jesus on your chest and ripping your shirt off is okay. Okay? So... Uh, I assume that's what God was saying to me too. <laughs> but um, we started to get back on track. You know, one of the things that happened, uh, and I had other people give me really great prophetic words. Kendra Barrow, uh, in like 2012, we really saw God start to, to ramp up the prophetic ministry again and prophetic words about that and what God was going to be doing. And, and, and that we embraced and said, yes, that's what we want. And um, other, other, other things like that were happening. But um, about that time, house group started. And that was Luke and Wilson. And I just need to have them up here and tell that whole story uh, one of these Sundays. But uh, that, that was just booming. And um, I was thinking about hiring them, talking about hiring them. And at the end of 2013, at a prayer meeting we had on New Year's Eve, one of the participants said, I feel like God's saying that we are going to finally enter into power evangelism out on the streets like we've always desired, and it's going to be the young, the young people that lead us there. And he had no idea at that time that we were contemplating hire, actually hiring Luke and Will to come on staff which we did in 2000, February of 2014, I think it was. And that five years ago, and um, probably this week. Yeah, wow, didn't think of that before. And now they've risen up to be senior leaders in the church. And, and they're the two executive pastors who are overseeing the staff and all the ministries in the church. And, and so God's been doing some just some cool, powerful stuff with us. But some of the words that we got over the years that have had... Uh, just profound impact in, in addition to Dan's word about God restoring us to our roots. Um, let me see here. Oh, Lori and I prayed for young adults in 2012, specifically said, all right, let's sit down right now. Let's ask God to give us young adults. Next year, we saw young adults start coming. And shortly after that, Luke and Will and Lori and I sat in our living room, and we said, we need more prophetic people around here. And we have some, and we're really thankful for them. We said, well, let's ask God for it. So just in that one time, we said, okay, God, right now, we're asking you for prophetic people. And it wasn't long until Micah Dawkins, Micah Turnbow came. And so Micah came, and he leads our prophetic ministry here now, which is just really incredible. But... Um, just seeing things like that happen are, are things, it, th that gives my heart hope and strength and encouragement. A, a mentor of mine, Happy Layman, he told me um, a few years ago, he said, Van, he said, you should not hire anyone. And he meant like upper level leadership staff. You know, th there are, but he said, you shouldn't hire anyone that can't lead a thousand people. And at the time I thought, wow, man. 
well, how am I ever going to accomplish that? I, 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 which I look around now at our staff and I say, Luke, Will, easily a thousand people each they could lead. Sarah could lead a thousand people. Jordan Pelfrey, our youth pastor, could lead a thousand people. Micah Dawkins has how many thousands of people follow him? Oh, Micah Turbo. I'm sorry. Turnbow, yeah. Actually, we have Micah Dawkins here, too, and we're real happy about that. So let's give a shout-out to Micah Dawkins. Yeah, Micah, Micah's a guy also that will have the ability to lead a 1,000. So we have a number of people in place like that. And for the last, last couple of years, what we've really been focusing on is expanding the tent pegs. You know, when God says he's going to do something powerful, uh, oftentimes he would use that, that terminology, expand, expand your tent pegs, because that means you have a bigger tent, okay? Take the pegs from here out to there, you got to get a bigger tent to do that. And, um, and so we've been making great, great progress in expanding those tent pegs just by becoming far more organized than we ever have been. But part of this family gives us a promise. Being part of this, being, being that pearl, being the treasure in God's eyes and heart. In Psalm 2.8, this is a promise that was given to Jesus by the Father. It's in Psalm 2.8, and it says this, Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth will be yours. See, that's why Jesus came. That's the treasure, that, that's the pearl of great price. He came because he wants the nations of the world to be his, to be part of his family. And, and the Father promises him that. And how many of you know that he says, this is your inheritance, son? And how many of you know that in the Bible we are called co-heirs with Jesus? Co-inheritors with Jesus. So whatever is his inheritance, it's your inheritance and my inheritance too. And so we look at that and we say, okay, Lord, give, up. give, give the nations to us. God, give, the, give us the nations. Let us have an impact on the nations. And, and as, as, we, as we look at that and, and we see, well, what's, what's God calling us to in this? One of the very first prophets we had at this church, a guy named Tom Barger, at the very beginning of the church, the first three years of the church, uh, Tom, would, Tom got my attention by coming to me one day and saying, Van, I don't know what was happening with you and Lori last Tuesday night about 9.30, but I was watching Law and & Order, and God told me to turn the TV off and pray for you. And so I thought, okay, what was happening? We were having a pretty decent fight right about that time <laughs> last Tuesday. So I thought, okay, this guy, and then he'd say, Lord says, get ready, because in August, we're going to gain 50 people. And when you have 200, 50 is noticeable, and doggone it, in August, we grew by 50 people. That happened two or three times, and I'm thinking, all right, this guy's for real. He's legit. And, and, and I, boy, I was so thankful to have that prophetic voice here. One time, uh, well, a couple times, he said, Van, I just don't think you get it. He said, I don't mean to be offensive, but I don't think you understand how big this thing is that God wants to do here. And I'd say, Tom, I'm for it, Okay. Uh, yeah, what do you want me to do? But um, I think he was right. I didn't really get it. I don't think I was quite ready to get it at a heart level or mature enough to get it and see it and, and say, yeah, I can be part of that. But I think I get it now. I think I get it now. And, and what he was saying, last week, one of the students that came from Bethel with, um, with um, our, our guest speaker, Steve Backlund, said that we were called to be a regional church. 
And she said she had just had this sense that all the Ohio River from where it started to where it ends into the Mississippi were supposed to impact. You know, that starts in Pittsburgh. Let's give a cheer for Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. And wow, gracious Bengals fans. And it goes all the way down, some of you wouldn't do that, but it goes all the way down, I think it's Cairo, where, where it enters. And, and so we've had this word given to us many times that we are called to be a regional church. And you have to ask, well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we're going to be the biggest church in this city or even the, the biggest church in, this, in, the, in the region. We do have to grow to be a regional church, okay, because there are things we're going to have to do to, to, be, to step into that. And we're really praying and exploring what God means by that. But a few of the things it means is this, that we're going to lead the way in what it means to be a, a fully pressing into the Holy Spirit, prophetic, worship like crazy church, and yet also be outwardly focused, we're going to lead the way in showing what it means to be all of that and also be Bible. And we're going, to, we're going to lead the way to show how you can do all of that and still be kind of like natural and authentic Amen. and not, not become religious. And, and so that's what God's calling us to. And, and numerical growth is part of that because we're going, to, we're going to need more resources. We're going to need bigger space at some point to, to, to do some of the things that God's going to call us to do. But it doesn't mean just unlimited growth, you know, for the sake of unlimited growth. There's a purpose to it. And, and I've had different times pastors say to me, and I just kind of like, I, I didn't know we were doing that. But I'm getting more comfortable with saying thank you when they say this to me. But I've had pastors say to me, thank you for leading the way. Yeah. Not, yeah, it's not me. No, it's not me. It's us. It's us. But they're saying that to me, and I take it for the whole church. But, but, but this, as a church, that's what we're going to do. We're going to lead the way in showing how that's done. And, and that, that, that's what it means to be a regional church. Um, yeah. So I'm going to have to quit here, I think. <laughs> but what I want to give you is this. I want to end with this verse, all right? This is Ezekiel 47. And in Ezekiel 47, uh, Ezekiel has a vision of a river coming out of the temple of God. And as it flows, I believe it flows to the east, he and an angel are walking and they're in ankle deep water. And then they're in knee deep water. And then they are in um, waist deep water. And finally they're in water that's deep enough that you have to swim to, to stay in it. And, and here's what it says then within that context. It says, and on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fall, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Get, this river's getting its life. The trees are getting their life from the heart of God the sanctuary, and it says their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. And I think that reflects what God's calling us to be here as a church, and, um, and, and I, we will be thrilled if, if we have an impact on churches that become churches of 10,000 and we stay 2,000 or whatever, whatever God has for us. We'll be thrilled with that because it's about the influence and the impact, and, and that's what God's calling us to. So, I'm going to pray right now. Uh, would you like to stand up with me? And if this touches your heart, if you say, yeah, I want to be part of this, just say that to God right now. 
Say, God, yeah, there's more to know. There's more to understand about the whole thing. But, Lord, this is what I want to be a part of. This is the bus I want to be on. Just tell them that right now, okay? Just tell them. Father, uh, you've created us all individually to do something significant in this world. And, And you created this church to have a significant influence and a significant impact we receive that. We're not going to deny that, Lord. But we, we look to you and say, you're the one that fulfills it, not us. And we can't, but we do want to have our eyes open. We want to have our hearts open. We want to say yes to you every step of the way and watch you do powerful things. So I just pray right now, uh, Holy Spirit, for a new sense of excitement in each person's heart here about your kingdom. Whether they're part of this church or another church, there's excitement about being part of advancing your kingdom, excitement about being a risk taker and one that will press into everything that you have for them in life. Jesus' name, amen.